So I was in this small group, and this girl wanted to share something, and it turned into this hour-and-a-half-long manic chain of what are you saying and where are you going? There was just no rhyme or reason for any of us to be able to follow it. But she was so passionate about what she wanted to share, and it was really hard. We all just left kind of going, uh... (laughs) What was that? And what was the point? It sounds like my neighbor. And I think everyone listening just went, yep, been in one of those. So welcome back, friends, to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. And you have the third part of a four-part series on how to tell your story, how to listen to a story. And we started in the first two episodes with how to listen to someone's story. The premise of all this is really very simple, that loving people requires knowing their story. It really does. Particularly people with whom you are in some kind of committed something, Uh, whether it's a small group that's committed to spend eight weeks together, or especially if it's a small group that kind of has a longer duration, I would say even more important, obviously to just good friendships, and certainly within family contacts, spouses. Arguably the smallest group with the longest trajectory. (laughs) You have to know someone's story. I remember Longfellow's famous line, we may meet a man and think him cold when he is merely sad. Mm -hmm. You can just so misread people. I do it all the time. We misread people because we don't know their story. And it's amazing. You hear their story. It was Stacy that was saying last time, and so much compassion just comes into the room when, when you go, oh, that's why, that's why you're like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. So welcome back. With me in the studio is Stacy Burton. Hello. Sam and Luke Eldridge, all of us in and out of various small group experiences mm-hmm. and various small group training. So we kind of wanted to share share some of the mojo here. As I said, third installment. So if you didn't catch the first two, uh, you might want to do that. You might want to hit pause and go back in your podcast library and pick up with episode one. But you don't have to. This is going to be absolutely gripping. (laughs) So switching gears into how to tell your story for the very reason that Stacy was just illustrating. You can get into a group and sometimes it's nerves. And sometimes it's because you didn't think about it. Sometimes it might be because the warfare comes slamming in. Oh, can we just say the warfare comes slamming in Mm -hmm. to say you're such an idiot, keep it short, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, something is going to make it difficult to tell your story well. Mm -hmm. And we'd like to help you with that. So let me just start with overview. As you guys think about telling your story well, what immediately comes to mind? I think what immediately comes to my mind is first preparing beforehand. As mm-hmm. you said, one of the hardest things about telling your story is not thinking about it beforehand. And then some structure. I think Sam said this the other day, but sometimes when you get two hours or an hour, it's like having a million choices of jam. You've no <laughs> idea where to start. And no matter what you choose, you're going to be disappointed because there was something else. Yes. And so just some structure, which I think we'll get into, but even just that concept 
is helpful. Well, and structure because you don't want to burn your precious time. And you'd be surprised how an hour can just go like that. Mm -hmm. And you are in fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And the group's like, I'm sorry, Sally. Uh, we got to bring this in for a landing. I we assume something happened in the next 30 <laughs> years, but we won't find out tonight. So thanks, Luke. That's helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, structure. I did want to ask, Luke, last time you mentioned that you and Olivia shared mm -hmm. stories and you practiced beforehand. We did. What was that like? Yeah. I mean, what did you do? Well, we were so nervous yeah. to tell our story because we were the very first ones to go in the group okay. and kind of trying to lead out with vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And we asked the leader, like, how should we prepare? And he gave the advice since it was a marriage group and we were telling our story together that one of us would get 20 minutes and talk about up to the moment before we met. And then the other person would get 20 minutes to talk up to the moment before we met and then switch back talking about after we met. Okay. And so that experience of practicing was difficult to figure out, okay, what do I want to include? What do I not want to include? And it was also just really helpful to do with Olivia, just to share right. the stories with one another in closed doors and decide mm. what stories we want to include, how our stories might be painting the other person, things like that was really helpful. Oh, good. I mean, just the idea of practicing, right? Mm -hmm. right? Wow. I don't know that I ever have, and I know it sure would have gone better had I? Oh, yeah. That's been my experience. Like, there have been times that I've told my story and just shot from the hip. And you turn it into a little bit of verbal processing time. Yeah. You're sort of wandering. And, oh, you know, what I forgot to mention was. Yes. And by the end, it's sort of a roll of the dice if you feel seen and known or not. Because you could. You could have just gone down some tangent or just sharing things that you think you remember from last time. Versus the times where I've prepared, I've literally typed out a story. Those times have been so rich to go like, wow, I, I had to sit with this beforehand. I had some processing beforehand that actually allowed God to move. And I felt less vulnerable even in sharing very vulnerable stories. Mm. So it's not necessarily my, my personality type's gifting to be that prepared. But as much as you can be, it really does yeah. help. Mm. So first, just big picture, like Luke just did, like if you, as you're thinking, okay, telling your story, what first comes to mind? Telling your story well. I think a huge helpful place to start is, it's probably in the process of preparing, but to pray. Mm -hmm. God, what should I share? Because my big question, kind of as a side note on that, is what if there's someone in your group that you aren't trusting your story with. So the odds of that are probably likely. pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you do need to be pretty diligent mm -hmm. about what you're mm -hmm. willing to put out there. And as well, taking a risk and sharing, but you also want to be comfortable with mm -hmm. what you're sharing. And I think that matters. I think you want to honor your story. You want to honor yourself there. Mm. And you want to honor the group by sharing. So it's a good place to walk with God. Like what is safe? to offer what is safe to share. That is so good. I I am just cracking up because we did a, I'm now going to confess something that the staff is going to hear <laughs> on the podcast. Uh -oh. So we did a staff weekend back in January with a wonderful couple from Onsite, which is a really marvelous program of therapists in Nashville who offer kind of intensive counseling, multiple day experiences. Anyway, we brought 
some of them out to do some exercises with our team because we want to be a people who continue to grow and seek wholeheartedness and and not just kind of rest on last year's breakthrough, but continue. So it was wonderful and it was amazing. But I remember coming in, I was coming in out of a lot of battle. And I just remember saying to myself, I'm not sharing. I don't care what they say. Because they had asked each of us to bring in a significant object that might tell a piece of our story. And and even in the choosing of that object, I'm like, yes, man, you know, I'm going to pick like something back of your car. innocuous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did not bring things like my high school yearbook with the picture of the girl that broke my heart. I did not bring a bottle of bourbon to show what it was like to grow up in my home. But Stacy, that thing about Ask Jesus— and so I'm sitting there, and Jesus says, oh, no, you're sharing. <laughs> Go for it. Mm. Like, this actually is a safe place, John. These people love you. You're good. You're out of battle now. It's okay. Go for it. And I wouldn't have had yeah. I not asked him. Like, letting Jesus mm-hmm. speak into what yeah. you share and when you share and whether you go first. Mm-hmm. This is so good. Something that I've been surprised by a lot is actually where the line of vulnerability is. I think. In my mind, I always picture it as being way down the field and I have to share a ton Mm -hmm. and that whatever story I'm bringing or how I'm sharing my life, if I'm going to be truly vulnerable, it's like I'm on the operating table and all of my insides are visible. But what I've been so surprised by time and time again is vulnerability is actually a lot closer than I think. There might be just a particular reaction to a story or naming a particular disappointment that after I do, I felt very vulnerable in that space. And I've had conversations with people who go, like, I just don't know if I feel safe to offer in this. And safe and vulnerable, like that may be very specific to a person. And so mm-hmm. it might be that you do need to dial down and not share everything, but your vulnerability line may actually be closer than you think. Mm-hmm. And I think we are called to be vulnerable in some capacity. Otherwise, this pursuit of telling stories and hearing stories I'm not seeing if all you see is just armor, right? Like yeah. that we just we yeah. know that there is some invitation to vulnerability. Mm. But we also want to walk wisely and not have it be a space for you invite future wounding or continued right. wounding. So that's this game <clears throat> you play, especially with larger groups. The metaphor that came to mind when I was doing a, a class was it was like being a pinata. Like <laughs> you got in the middle and then everybody else got their wooden bats and beat the crap out of you for 30 minutes. And you're like, Can I, oh, oh, no, that was a terrible question. Oh, you totally misread me. Like it can be a scary experience to jump in the middle. Yeah. Sam, I think what you just shared is really going to be relieving to a lot of people. We think that to be vulnerable, we have to share the deepest, deepest, mm-hmm. deepest stuff. Right okay, I'm in my small group and, you know, this maybe this is a group that's going to go for a year together, you know, or indefinitely. You formed a house thing. And, and so you're like, okay, if they're going to know my story, they need to know everything, yeah. you know. No, that's just not true. You can express genuine vulnerability in appropriate levels. To be vulnerable doesn't mean to put every single thing out mm-hmm. there. That's very helpful. Yeah. And I think I almost go to the opposite where I feel this level of performance to have some sort of amazing insight into Mm -hmm. my life when I do share. Mm -hmm. That when I go to vulnerability, I can also tie it up with a nice bow Mm. and perform some sort of 
miraculous realization that blows everybody away. Like do therapy on yourself. Like do therapy on myself as performance. While juggling. <laughs> juggling chainsaws that are mm-hmm. on fire. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, in thinking about how to prepare, I think it's also really good to think about you don't have to share everything, but you should still explore even if you're not going to necessarily share what you're exploring mm. as you prepare. Mm. Yeah, just even the pressure of I may need to share X can take you to some places that may never get shared. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I hear you saying of just going, wow, if I, if I were to tell my life for this group of people, knowing whatever I do to prepare it isn't necessarily going to get said, mm-hmm. that's a unique environment for sure. And one of the things that's going to come up, because I can feel it, I'm kind of, I'm trying to put myself back in those groups. <laughs> and I think most people, I'm going to overwhelming majority of us say, I'm not sure if I trust them. Mm. And yet, in Christian community, we're called to move towards one another in love. We're called towards a level, at least, of vulnerability. It's not just faking it to faking it. So that is going to raise some really good things between me and Jesus Mm. as I prepare. Stuff I may never bring, but for Jesus to say, yeah, can we talk about your distrust of people for a minute, (laughs) right? Mm. And like, let him go. Like, let it be a ministering experience just getting ready to Mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. Totally. That's huge. I know um, it is a vulnerable and very risky thing to enter into. When I went to my lay counseling program, I had to set my heart in a certain direction because I had friends who had gone through it before me and their experiences were not great because Mm. their hearts were so mishandled. And it's hard because you're trying to enter into a space with your group where you can hear each other's story and grow as a group, as the body of Christ is meant to in community. However, I just had to protect my heart in a sense. Mm -hmm. So I, I was vulnerable, but I also understood that there was a huge risk of my heart being mishandled. And the way that I dealt with that was just staying tight with God. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. It's leaving the group with Jesus, what is true about me, what's true in the story here. It's really, I guess, an, an experience of walking with God in your story and you're bringing it to people. But staying tight with God is probably oh, super stay, crucial. It's so good. It's so good because I had a disaster. I, I'm now remembering the car accident small group that I had. Mm. And it was because, to really be fair to them, I was totally guarded. Mm. And they picked up on it. Mm -hmm. And then because of that, they went after things in my story with a kind of aggression. Mm. It wasn't the rat story. I want to devour you. but. But it was a car accident. I mean, it was not good. And afterwards, you know, I had Christ come into that, what's really true. Come, But I also had to own, you know, John, part of that went that way. It was because the, remember, there's what you say and the way you say it. Mm-hmm. And I was super defensive. And they're like, oh, man, we're going to go after this fortress and see if we get knock yeah. a hole in it. They're like, yeah. I don't want these guys to speak in my life, so I'm going to put up walls Oh my gosh, they've now pulled out pickaxes. <laughs> Here they come. This is balance. so much worse than I was hoping. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Which is why we have part one and part two. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. When I think about telling a story, I, my heart goes out to the person leading, the person going first. And I kind of expect that to be 
the group leader. I wouldn't put somebody else up to bat for my group that I was leading. That would be unkind. Mm. I would go first mm. because of oh. this this idea that Dan Allender said once of you can't take anybody anywhere you haven't gone yourself. And so that there's this moment to set the tone for the people following you to go, hey, as we begin this journey, here's how I'm going to tell my story. And as the leader, you get to model maturity and be like, share some vulnerable things and sidestep some others that maybe you're not sitting in a circle of therapists. And so you do want to give them what they can handle and also let them see you and really name things that are worth naming because the amount of stories I've heard where someone feels very seen at the end, but they just gave me like a boilerplate of like a normal suburban person's life. And I'm like, you feel seen? Like, I know, I know nothing about you. I know your life is like everyone else's because you've gone an inch deep and nobody modeled for them Mm -hmm. even just a little bit of reflection on here's some thoughts on how I first encountered Jesus. Here's where a wound got in in an unexpected way. Here's Mm -hmm. how God is continuing to speak to it. And it may be unresolved. I don't need to button it all up neatly. I don't need to do that juggling act, Luke, that you Mm -hmm. said. Like I I can leave it out there of I'm in process. I can name what kind of a story it is. It might be, Mm. and now I'm in a season of celebration or a season of loss. Mm. If you're doing this, and you're listening to this, you're probably the kind of person who should go first and therefore you get to set Mm. the tone. It's so good, Sam. The longing to be known is primal. Yep. It's just core to human experience, the longing to be known. So you're going to have to take some risks and not tell a bland story in order to be known. So to put another big question out there, If you are to know me, you need to know this. That's really the guiding light of preparing to tell your story. And we're going to give some more specifics here in in the last episode of like, you know, bullet points. But if you are going to know me, you need to know this. What are the big categories to help people think about preparing to tell their story? For example, let me just leader goes, family of origin. Mm -hmm. If you're going to know me, you need to know what it was like for me growing up. You need to know something about my mom, my dad, my family setting. And again, you don't have to go into things you don't want to go into, but you need to give some context of, we grew up in a really chaotic home. We grew up in a really silent home. I grew up in a highly abusive and violent home. I grew up in a single-parent home. My dad raised us. If you're going to know me, you have got to know family of origin. Mm-hmm. So, so that that's a big mm-hmm. one, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a huge one. There are so many different layers there. You could spend years just fleshing out those nuances. I think I would work backwards from right now, and I would go, why am I the way I am? Because what you're meeting when you meet me is more like the the reaction that I have learned to things. So whether I'm stressed or resting, if I want to be around you or I want to go, like the things that excite mm-hmm. me, those are all long historical roots. And so to go, oh, okay, let me acquaint you with why I love the things I love. Like why I love the stories I love. Why What what are the things I love and, and what was tied up into those? So after Family of Origin, I then go to, man, I really... I want to invite you into dreams and the ways that that has influenced 
the things I'm drawn to now, mm. whether that's out of those being met or out of disappointment. Mm. Sam, that's so good. And then that also makes me think of, I think I would really want to invite people into particularly difficult seasons that cultivated a kind of response in me and how I operate with people, as this is a small group that they're going to be interacting with me. I want them to know the kind of patterns that I've absorbed and also the survival mechanisms that I've absorbed in just the way that I handle life mm. that you only see the effect of and interpret in a certain kind of way, but there's a story there. Mm. Right. And there's underlying motivations. And I think to be known, I'd really want people to know those kind of underlying motivations that often get so misinterpreted. Mm. Mm. Gosh, I'm thinking of a conversation I had just two months ago with a guy, Luke, who he was in a group setting. He was coming across as really abrasive, kind of a, you know, get your act together, everybody sort of guy. And he pulled me aside at the lunch break and he said, hey, there's some things you don't know about me. He said, I, I'm a child abuse crime investigator. And I have seen the worst things that this world has to offer. And I know that I'm really abrasive and that's why. Mm. And, and it just instantly, compassion, mm -hmm. instantly, oh, you're not a jerk. You're a traumatized human being. Oh. Right. And then just for him to admit that, yeah. hey, I know I come across kind of like this. Let me tell you a little bit why. Right? Mm -hmm. So I know I've been really shy in this group, and I know that I'm going last. And let me tell you a little bit about where that's from. You know, I had a yelling home. Our home was a yelling home. You know, right? Mm -hmm. To know me, you would need to know what else? What's coming to my mind, and it's probably just what I'm experiencing now, is objects I'm encountering, either walking through my aging parents' home and something catches my eye and reminds me um, the practice of bringing in an object to that group thing. It's just really incredible what God can bring up in your current story and how you're responding to that object, because it's probably from a childhood experience, the the wound, or when did I lose heart for for that? And now I know why it excites me so much now. So it's touching on what you all are saying. That can be a very powerful thing, by the way, just dropping in some tips to your group. Sometimes in the past, we've had people bring in a childhood photo, because mm -hmm. wow, does that get things going for you and for the group, mm -hmm. or an object, you know, and you guy brings in his baseball glove and says, I always hope to make Division One baseball in college, and I didn't, and here's what happened, and I haven't played baseball since, and here's why. I mean, just mm -hmm. an object can take you so profoundly into a story. I feel like that should be mandatory for groups now. Like, bring in a picture of you between the ages of five and nine, because you're going to have so much more empathy for that person when you see oh their eyes, you mm. see what they looked like, you see what is around them. Oh my gosh. And have that photo when you're preparing because yeah. you're having those same emotions towards yourself. Mm -hmm. That right. photo mm -hmm. of you as a five-year-old. Yeah. How do you feel towards about, that? Yeah. Right. Because you are bringing that five-year-old with you into the room, <laughs> whether you have the photo or not. Yeah. And how they are going to be responding will yes. be really helpful data. Yeah. 
Another thing I would want people to know is my relationship with God. And I think most people do drop that in, but they do it in like the very stereotypical Christian way. Unfortunately, it kind of ends up being a little bit of like a testimony, like, well, I accepted Jesus in my heart when I was six or at a youth group camp or not till later in life and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, okay, but like, what do you think about God? Like, what do you, Mm. do you talk to him? We're all using the same language here, but we mean very different things. And so the more you're able to tease that out, especially if this is a longer group, it's really helpful to know if a guy doesn't think God likes him. Because he's going to be responding to everything that has to do with God in this sort of shy, defensive, orphaned way. And if you know that, that's going to be helpful data. I would want to tease that out and tease it out like you would any other relationship. Mm -hmm. If they start talking about their mom or if you start talking about your mom, if they start talking about their dad and you want to know more, when you want to know more about what they mean when they say Jesus or the Holy Spirit or the absence of those names, like that's... That's good. Those are pretty helpful data points. Yeah. Something that could be helpful, but it's getting to a pretty vulnerable place, is what messages I'm living under now. And I think an easy way to figure that out is just go, especially as a woman, to go look in a mirror. And what am, what are you telling yourself as you see your reflection? Mm. I think it'll speak a lot to the present as well as what was spoken to you growing up. What are the messages I'm living under now? You know, you could start with the current struggle. You could start with, Mm -hmm. hey, I've been battling anxiety a ton the last six months. And I think I want to start with that because I'm not entirely sure where that comes from. But now let me tell you a little bit about me. You know, Mm -hmm. so to start with something current. Yeah. And my point was like the guy you were speaking to at lunch, like, and this is probably why my behavior, Mm. this is probably why you're receiving me this way. Yeah. In order to know me, I would want you to know my hopes and dreams. Mm -hmm. Sam mentioned that, especially growing up and what happened to those. Alan, our executive producer, just jumped (laughs) in to the conversation for a moment and said themes. If If your life were a movie, what's the theme? And uh, maybe to think about it that way for a moment, wow, I think to know me, you would have to know my life has known a lot of moving as military family, 21 different locations, which is a true story of one of our dear friends, 21 different homes. And to know that gal, you need to know that about her. And, and then, gosh, you hear people's stories and you go, you are a miracle. Mm-hmm. You're a miracle. Wow. So I was also thinking, Gerald May has a beautiful book called The Awakened Heart. And in it, he says, everybody's fundamental story is your story of love. To be able to look at your life and say, what has been my story of love? Family of origin, absolutely. But I wanted to add in there first loves, first heartbreaks, love now. Where is love? Are you living alone? Do you do you have a family? Do you know just mm-hmm. what is your story of love? What has been your story with love? Right, because in that value and worth is all tied together. So this is almost back to a listening thing. There's a lot of young unmarrieds in my world, and so I've been hearing a lot of stories of folks with this longing and and this these themes of love. Of there must be something wrong with me. I think we can miss the 
undercurrent of value and worth in the love if we're not paying attention, mm. right? Because it's there. But if you're just thinking of like, wow, this person really wants to be married, it's like, well, yes, but what they also really want is to feel worth choosing. Yeah. And that is going to be powerful for understanding their story. Yeah, that's good. I need to pause and recognize for me, even as we're having this conversation, don't you feel parts of your story coming up mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. need to be more attentive to your story? Stephen, in listening to this, so to our listening friends, let me let me suggest something. There is no question that by episode three, things have been presenting themselves to you. And you don't have to wait to get in a small group to do good honor and business with your story. Write it out. Write it out. Write parts of it. Like, I just guarantee it. For most of you listening, things are being brought up. You're being reminded of things. You hadn't thought about that. Dreams? Oh, wow. Where did that go? Or first loves or family of origin things? Whoa. So you don't have to wait to get into a small group to tell your story and honor your story. I journal it. Take this to Jesus. He would love to be invited into pieces of your story that you haven't specifically invited him into. So we're actually going to pause here, episode three. That's been really great content, lots to think about, not just in terms of preparing for a small group, but just thinking about your life. So bless you, friends, and we'll be back next time with the final installment. Mm -hmm.